Hi, my name is Jason Adriani, and welcome to the Blading Chats, your skating chat based. In this podcast, we are talking with bladers and bladies from all over the world, united by a single passion, blading. Episode 20, Robbie Pitts. Allora, oggi parleremo con Robbie Pitts, da Sydney. Vediamo un po' cosa da raccontarci riguardante la situazione del coronavirus in Australia. Abbiamo già fatto qualcosina un paio di settimane fa con Cave Drum. E lui è a Melbourne e ho scoperto che Melbourne e Sydney sono tipo a 6 ore di distanza, quindi mh, lontanissime. Vediamo un po' cosa succede. Roby, tra le altre cose, ha viaggiato in aereo e, mh, da Melbourne a Sydney, quindi al tempo, quando ho parlato con Cave Drum, lui era in autoquarantena a uh, Sydney. Quindi, so yeah, we are going to talk with uh, we are going to talk with uh, with Robbie, and we are going to talk with him about the situation of uh, the coronavirus in Sydney. What is going on? What happened when like the the, the Australian government asked him to self quarantine himself uh, for 14 days because he flew from Melbourne to Sydney, and um, yeah, of course, like. Um, Uh, how, like, where he gets all the inspiration for all of his outfits and uh, how he became a model for Gucci and um, what is going on right now with them and, uh, yeah, all things like that. And, like, who was, like, his main inspiration in, in Australia? What about you guys? You guys are good? Oh, Matthias Auger is in the house. Oh, yeah, in Timopoli. Matthias, I do would love to make like one of these things with you. You down? Grande Sven, minchia, numero uno, ci sei sempre, cazzo. <clears throat> If you guys have any question to... If you guys have any question to... To, to ask to, to Robbie in Timofoli. <laughs> Please, let's uh, type them here or like send me the question. I will make sure to ask it to him. Where you at right now, Matthias? In Germany or still in Australia? Grande Teo, sei ancora sveglio? Ah, cool. Man, I wish to go there. I, like, at least one day. Grande Carlo. I wish to go there in Australia one day. It looks like a pretty cool place to skate. Even if, like, uh, all of the... From what I heard, like they're making skate stops all over the place, right? Is it like that? I'm uploading uh, Bobby's pass of um, blading chat that we had yesterday. It has been like a pretty cool chat. <clears throat> It has been like a pretty cool chat. And um, 
pretty deep and uh, I really enjoyed it actually, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> they love him. <laughs> Woo! What's up, Dave? Um, <laughs> Dave, please, we do need like to do one of these. Let me know when you're free and uh, I'll settle down. Oh, no, no problem. It's not your bed. I know you're busy. And um, yeah, I was saying about um, about Bobby once uh, from yesterday. It has been pretty cool. And um, Bobby, yeah. He showed like he showed like uh, he showed to us like his mission and um, it's pretty cool. I'm uploading it here on my YouTube channel, so like uh, whenever you guys want it, you can. Uh, <laughs> whenever you guys want it, you can just uh, go there and peep it because yeah, it's like one hour talk actually, so quite satisfied about that. Earlier, I've done like a little test with Robbie to see how. His connection was and stuff like that, and it works perfectly. So, yeah. Can I say hi to everybody? Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, Robbie will be connected like uh, in five minutes. Yes, sir. What's up, Jeff? So what is going on right now in England? I have seen that right now uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is it like in intensive care. So that's pretty tough, huh? Yo, dog. <laughs> What's up, player? I do feel like a CEO with this chair, man. Look at that. Hmm, okay. <laughs> for sure, VG for life, baby. Grande Ale. Ah, ma guarda qui che abbiamo. Mamma mia, I can't wait. When it's going to be released. Damn. Looking forward for that. Ah, ci sono un po' di italiani stasera, eh? Dude, we miss you, bro. Let me see how many Italians we do have here in the house. Uno, due, tre, quattro, cinque. Okay, perfect. 50-50. We got people from... Um, yeah. Yeah, they're like that. There are a bunch of people, huh? So Robbie should be tuning in a minute.
And Bobby once was like pretty successful, successful as well. Like we did, we reached like 390 something spectators through the world show. So it was quite interesting. Yo, Logi, what's up? Obi Logi. What is going on right now in San Diego? I see you going around, man. That the curve ledge, hey, the metal one that you did like Aliso on that one by the sea, man. That ledge looks like we went there with Francesco. We passed by one day, and it looks super cool, huh? Isn't it? It was pretty close to the convention center, right? <clears throat> yeah, Jeff, Logi's the man. <laughs> yeah if like everything went well like um is going back to normal like around september or october i might gonna um, buy my flying ticket for the blading cup so yeah i'm really like crossing my finger like looking forward to to be to be <laughs> Joe Exotic, my man. She did. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. She spread it all around the world. I heard it like Netflix is doing like another episode. I heard it. In the, yeah, Netflix is doing like an, uh, another episode, man. Pretty cool. <laughs> If you guys haven't seen yet, just go on Netflix and go watch uh, Tiger King because it's like, I mean, I don't know. I don't really know what to say. <laughs> it looks like a fucking movie. Like the, the whole cast, the whole people, it doesn't look real, man. <laughs> like to me, it looked more real like fucking Avengers Endgame than uh, Tiger King, the whole story. Man, yeah, pff, crazy. Yo, what's up, Mihai? How you doing? Oh, yes, look who's in the house, Dominic Bruce. Yeah, true. But if it's no word, dog. We will we will make sure to do it ours. Yes, please. You were busy, man. We know you were busy. Yeah. Damn. Minchia angry. Si zio. 
All right, perfect. I'm gonna settle down this question. Thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, I do have like Dominic's question here, so. Royal King Store. Was it like the the magazine Royal Kings? Was it like a magazine, right? Royal Kings Store. Me? I met uh, Dominic at the Winter Clash. <laughs> yeah, Chaz, you're right. How the classes are going right now, Chaz? Like, um, are like people following all your like one-to-one um, -one, um, lessons? Okay, perfect. Robbie's here, so let's give it a shot and let's start this uh, this blading chat with the one and only Robbie Pitts. Hey. Yes, mate. What's up? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Lovely to be seeing you, mate. <laughs> Dude, so... Like, uh, yeah, thank you for like uh, waking you up like this early because right now in ah. Australia it's like seven in the morning, so thank you so much. Absolutely, not a problem at all. And uh, it's pretty cool to see you. Like, um, likewise, play like what is going on right now in Sydney? Um, well, so currently I'm in a hotel, um, where I've been ooh, for the past I think like a week and a half or something. Um, so what ended up happening for me is with the whole situation with COVID-19, um, for anyone who, who doesn't know, I'm Australian, but I've been living in Los Angeles for the past four years. And with all the events that started to arise, uh, it just kind of made more sense to me, uh, to be back in Australia, um, with my family. Cause who knows how long, uh, you know, all of these events are going to the last for us. So it made more sense to, to come back whilst I could because all of the borders and, and flights and everything were, you know, slowly shutting down day by day. Um, I should say quickly shutting down. Uh, but yeah, so what I decided to do was, um, yeah, sadly, I, I moved out of my house in Los Angeles and stored all my stuff. And then, yeah, took a nice flight uh, back to, it was to Melbourne, but actually it was via Sydney. Actually, it was one of the, I think it was the very last Qantas flight from LA. Okay. Um, they said. But yeah, what ended up happening was, is the Australian government um, made this mandatory thing where any um, international travelers, which were returning to Australia, permanent residents and citizens, they all would have to be quarantined um, in hotels for 14 days um, in the place of their uh, entry. So my international flight was arriving in Sydney. Um, but originally I was going to Melbourne. So yeah, they did this whole situation where basically you get off the plane, you go through the standard customs immigration. Um, and through that, you obviously had a health check as well, um, where they, um, you know, asked you about symptoms and took your temperature and that kind of thing. But the main goal was to then transport all of the returning passengers to hotels to stay for 14 days. So um, I think I was one of the first flights of that day, which was um, on a Sunday. And yeah, so they transported everyone. Uh, it was like 15 people per bus. So it was quite a long wait overall. 
But um, I think I arrived around 7 a.m. in the morning. And then by the time I actually got to my hotel room, it was probably 2 p.m. Um, no way. But to be perfectly honest, like I think the whole operation that the like Australian government and the federal police, New South Wales police, the airport, like everyone, all the agencies involved, like they just did a fantastic job. And I mean, you know, it could have been way worse with the amount of like people they were dealing with. But um, yeah, other than like the waiting, which is obviously going to come naturally, uh, it was a pretty easy process. And, and it's, and to be honest, it's been pretty, pretty nice here. You know, it's not, it's a, it's a really nice hotel. It's um, I'm in the Hyatt Regency and I can, sea over darling harbor and um yeah it's a pretty nice place so they they give you wi-fi there's like a uh, a certain amount of money that you can use on room service every day so yeah i mean other than the fact that i literally am not allowed to leave my room because there's like guards on every floor um <laughs> you know it's 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 not a bad way to spend 14 days <laughs> no exactly it could have been worse absolutely absolutely could have been so yeah but feels nice yeah looks like but like compared to the josh one just like he told me the other the oh, other yeah. time that we spoke like he was like in this tropical island within in this resort like so yep. he, he also like uh, had some, some luck uh, with this like a quarantine from the government and like isn't the government paying all that right they're not yeah, gonna charge yeah. they're not going to charge you nothing right no no i didn't um no, none of the returning passengers have to have to be charged for their stay um Personally, I don't know how many returning passengers there are, but I do know when we originally arrived, we were supposed to go to um, the Hilton Hotel. They were taking us there. But then I think the amount of people um, that were already like in front of my bus uh, filled up that hotel, so to speak. So then they took us to the second. I'm not sure how many other hotels are being used, but I would envision there's there'd be quite a considerable amount of people. Wow. So, yeah. So, and are you still able to work like um, from there? Like, well, actually, going back, which is your your, your job, and like, uh, if like you're able to do it, like right now with this situation? Uh, no. Like, I I basically was um, I worked at a, like a bookstore mm -hmm. in LA um, for my my good friend Roby, and I was basically a store coordinator manager there, and yeah just with with the nature of the whole situation we just weren't able to operate kind of anymore which put me in a uh, bit of a bad situation as well so yeah as uh you know it's uh it's kind of a trying time for for everyone right now for everyone. i know i'm not the only person you know in this kind of situation who may have like you know lost employment or or whatnot but um yeah, I mean, I love I love Los Angeles. I love the United States. I love my life there. Um, but you know, this really feels like uh, like something out of a movie. You know, it seems True. very real. And, and there's so many, so many times where I feel like I wake up, and you expect to be doing you know your normal daily things, and then you soon enough the uh, the reality of everything dawns on you, and you're just like, wow we're all experiencing this together and this is just like unprecedented it's yeah it's really sad no true true like the other day i was talking with a friend of mine and we were saying that like probably when we are going to be father or whatever we like our kids like the next generation will never understand the thing that we have been through because like it looks 
just like you were saying, so unreal. Like, yeah, yep. we were going to tell them, yeah, we were like stuck at home and just doing nothing. They were like, oh, come on, how is it possible? Weren't you able to go around and stuff like that? But no, you can't because like you maybe can be affected or you can affect somebody and like you can spread it and it spread like a like a really, I don't know, how can I explain how fast that thing can get like, um, can get to the people, so. I, th I think that's probably one of the, the most difficult things about like explaining the severity to everyone and trying to get everyone, you know, to, I guess, be on board and to be so, so to speak, compliant because, uh, you know, with other kind of things that maybe um, would be of this scale, you know, in, in past history, I feel like they've always had a lot more kind of like physical um, or visible signs of that there's distress, you know, whether it's like a war or a riot or a natural disaster, you know, you usually can see the effects happening around you, uh, whereas this is invisible, you know, and, and, and the other, the most, the most difficult part is the very fact that like anyone could have it, but you could be asymptomatic and exactly. you could just be a carrier. Um, and there's no way to really know unless you were actually tested of any kind. So yeah, it's, I, th I think that was probably really hard for a lot of people to wrap their head, heads around because everything seems normal or it should be normal, you know. Um, but I guess these, you know, measures to, to hopefully, you know, bring the levels down um, are kind of necessary to be put in place. So, yeah. True, true. Yeah. And that today, for the very first day in a month, probably, I was able to go to the city because I was hired for a job, luckily. And like yep. I, they, they sent me all the, the, the permit to go around and stuff like that. And it was yeah. really impressing because like there were like literally nobody in the street. It looks like a, it was like one of those uh, ghost town or something like that. Is it the same right now in Sydney or like there are still people going around or like? Uh... Well, personally, I didn't really I haven't really seen that much of Sydney outside of like going from the airport to the hotel mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the city on the bus and yeah, I mean, I guess it seemed like there weren't too many people around. Like in, in Los Angeles, for instance, um, yeah, like that dropped off really quickly um, in terms of just like when when they, you know, enforce the, um, the stay at home. And yeah, you would just drive around like, you know, Los Angeles and Southern California is notorious for its like, you know, very packed freeways. Um, and I remember driving on the freeways, you know, as I do to, to go to work or go to the supermarket or whatnot. And there's just far less people on the road and then just around in general. But, um, but it was really nice. Like, cause like some of the supermarkets that, you know, like particularly this one Trader Joe's, which I visit um, regularly in LA, they actually like implemented like 20 people in the store at a time. And you, you just had to line up uh, and, you know, they, they greeted you with a cart and they, you know, wiped it down for you. So it's, it was really nice to know that like everyone was, um, you know, taking all the measures they could to be obviously considerate of the situation as far as like potentially spreading um, the virus, but also just like being accommodating to everyone's like stress levels or like, this, and no one seemed to be, you know, getting upset and like everyone was just really like understood that, you know, you have to be, six feet or, you know, two meters away from each other. And like, it, so it was very orderly and quite nice in a way. I feel like overall, um, despite obviously now I've been in isolation for almost 14 days, but just even back then when you are around the few people that you are around, everyone sort of felt like 
they were giving each other the space that you needed and mm -hmm. everyone was very respectful. So in some ways I feel like it's quite nice that everyone is in this together. And I'm sure it's really hard for Italians because Italians are so loving and family, you know, orientated that like, or neighborhood orientated and wanting to help one another and to be out in the street or, you know, going over to each other's houses or just very affectionate. So yeah, I'm sure it's very hard for you. Yeah, it, is, it definitely is. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is because just for all the things you were saying, like we used to shake hands, kisses, hugs and stuff like hugging and stuff like that. So, you know, for us, it's like, a, it's getting like quite hard and like little earlier at the, at the news, they were saying that probably they're going to uh, postpone the, um, the, the day of the release. I wouldn't say the release because it won't be like, okay, from May 8th, everybody can go around to the bar and stuff like that. Because to do that, we are going to take like probably more than six months or something like that. But like uh, they, like initially the, um, the day of the ending of the quarantine was supposed to be like the 28th of March. And then it became the 3rd of April, then the 15th of April. And then earlier they said like, they're going to be probably the 8th of May. So right. yeah, just because of that, this thing that you were saying, like we are like, we love to go around like tons of people in a bar or like, uh, you know, going yep. around like hugging each other and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty tough for us uh, to, to be honest yeah. with you. I guess thinking about the lasting effects of like, you know, how that kind of behavior um, will change just us and societies in general, you know, like will people be less physically affectionate coming out of this? Uh, you know, will people become more fearful of um, germs or, you know, being susceptible to kind of illness or whatnot. So yeah, it's definitely, you know, uncertain times ahead, but you know, I think, affection and love and care is always there and it still is right now which is like obviously what is carrying us all through which is really nice true exactly exactly there's a side effect on that one, on that thing and yeah. with that being said the other day i was watching one of Gav's stories and like um i saw a video of you skating with um probably there were dashes or something like that it probably was like a video from 2002-2003 oh. and you were wearing I big pants and a and uh, an Excel uh, shirt. I so was skating. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say they were the um, Rollerblade TRS Alphas. I think that wow. was from 2004. Yeah. Great. And like, how um, did it happen? Like um, the evolution of your like style of clothes. Like, how did it happen? Like from the Excel era to uh, the way you're wearing right now, which is pretty cool in my right. in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I, I, I guess like it's easy to sort of say whenever I um, was younger, I was always into clothes and, and, and style and the way that things looked, aesthetics. Um, and I, I feel like even, even though I was wearing really baggy clothes, for instance, I was still very much or, or baggy clothes or, or clothes that were associated with the style of skating at that time. Uh, I still was very much like interested in what I was wearing, you know, like the colors of the pants or like the, the, the beanie or the brand of the beanie. Like I loved mind game, you know? Um, so I was always very much like particular about how I put things together and was very considerate. And also I would watch lots of other skaters and take inspiration of what they were wearing. Um, like I remember, like I loved Brandon Matier during that era. 
And like, I mean, if you look at that clip, like I'm like my skate set up and even like what I was wearing, the fact that I even had long hair was like very much inspired by him. But so the transition to like, um, to where I kind of, I get got now, like outside of from the, from the skating sort of um, clothing style was that I was getting closer towards the end of my high school. I was, you know, almost 18. And I started to become more interested within music and music culture, um, particularly music from, um, I mean, I was always interested in older music, uh, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. But I think particularly what kind of struck me at that moment was the late 1970s uh, punk, you know, movement, um, which particularly I was most fascinated by the New York stuff. Um, and that had, you know, much more, it just almost was like stark contrast, you know, where I was wearing super baggy clothes and then you're seeing, you know, these men wearing really tight fitting effeminate um, clothing, but still kind of actually having like, you know, even like, for instance, the New York dolls were one of my like most um, like fashion inspirations at that time they just were like even though they dressed incredibly androgynous and almost to the point of where they were dressing in you know drag so to speak um there was still something masculine about all of that so i just found it so in kind of inspiring and um i think then combining it with like the skaters at the time who were kind of embracing the similar things like mikey yeager and ollie short were two kind of like i think the most like pinnacle of uh, rock and roll style and so when i when i saw those guys skating it just looked so different than anything else and it kind of combined all of that like you know style of, of music fashion that i was finding always interest in and so i kind of just was like oh, i want to i want to try that and in some way i guess i just took the courage to like then you know go to a thrift store and try to find some clothes and and I remember I bought my first pair of like um, uh, Rose's Majestic 12s, the charcoal gray ones, the UFSM 12s. And just like to transition from going from, I had uh, Troy Traceda's mm -hmm. Rollerblades RS skate to, to that just was also another like, you know, big change for me because it was like going from this much larger skate to this really slim skate. And so it was just learning and exploring just different aesthetics. But to be honest, from that very point, um, I just kind of got like so fascinated by like finding more and more like images of what like people used to look like within those subcultures, you know, within music. So I was just like constantly trying to find clothes that looked like the people who were wearing them in the photos. And then I got more interested in different types of music that were around the same timeline, you know, so whether or not it was more, you know, maybe it was the Rolling Stones in the, in the early 1970s, or it became like, um, you know, the Rolling Stones in the mid seventies or the, or sorry, the, the mid 1960s, the late 1960s with Brian Jones, like his style and the way that he dressed himself, like, you know, there was always key figures, you know, throughout every kind of moment of fashion that I was trying to, take inspiration from or find, um, you know, a way to incorporate that with my own that were like, you know, 
their icons of, 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 of their, of their time and their fashion always stood out amongst others like Brian Jones, Keith Richards, Johnny Thunders, you know, these are just three people, for instance, whose style just stands out, you know, amongst um, anyone else who was going around of those times. And you can look at those people and how much their style had a rippling effect in music and fashion thereafter. Um, you know, one could argue that like a lot of the hair metal bands, well, it's, I don't even think it's an argument, but like uh, most people would agree that most of the hair metal, you know, bands from the 1980s took so much inspiration from the New York Dolls and particularly Johnny Thunders, you know, and, and so I was always just like so inspired by these people. And it was more to the point of like, instead of it just being like, oh, I like a little bit of this. It's like, no, I want to be exactly like them like I don't want to be like a portion of them like you know look at David Bowie and it's just like well why can't I be just as like he is you know not just like a portion where it's like a shirt that's just inspired by him it's like the whole outfit everything that goes into it is like is what makes him uh visually so incredible and so like I was always just like trying to incorporate more and more um elements of fashion within my own so it was kind of it's just kind of like building up you know like a, a knowledge and a an understanding of those styles and then also building up your own um kind of uh, wardrobe so to speak of having all these different pieces to then utilize and put together so and after a while i had been doing it for so long that it just it just felt normal to me and sometimes one of the funniest things is when people who've never met me or never, never seen me are like, um, you know, exposed to me or encounter me. Like, I think the way that maybe they interpret me is like, it's probably re really intense and really loud and just like, they don't know how to like understand it. Uh, but you know, my like best friend, for instance, could be next to me and to them, they're just like, Oh, that's just Robbie. So I, and I even think that's how it's kind of gone with skating because as I've gone through skating, you know, like I'm, almost 33 now and like I said I started dressing differently uh and on skates since I was 18 so it's like over 15 years I've been doing this so I think even the skating community has got to you know understand and appreciate this is how I am so I think people either just like they accept that that's how I am and they like it or they don't so it's just it's kind of one of those things where I felt like I've just continually kept going with it and tried to then you know always find more different ways of uh exploring clothes because i think mm -hmm. now it's more about um how i incorporate all of these different styles that i've like tried before you know and incorporated in my wardrobe just in more my own unique way that i can feel like is more of a an expression of myself as opposed to me for instance dressing up like keith richards so that's where i feel like it's kind of got now that it's like yeah it's more um Maybe it's more of my my own taste. Which no, feels nice. Just yeah. like Sean is saying, it's he said just step down here, be unique, which is true. I mean, like you and Farm, and just like you were saying, Ollie and uh, and uh, Micah or Charles Dunkel in a way, you guys mm -hmm. have like your own particular style within, like from the clothes to yep. like the way of skating, and that's pretty that's pretty cool. I mean, like it's like a stand a standing out thing in my opinion you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty cool that is why i really appreciate like the fact like you're not you're like you're having your own stuff and like 
you're like putting on up there and like you everybody can recognize you or like everybody can recognize people like farm or back in the yeah. day uh, micah or all yeah. your sean santa maria and all these people i would say i would say like you know none of it was done to be conscious to be different i just was attracted to these things that you know perhaps you know within rollerblading culture or even just within um you know just society in general was different and i was always just more captivated by things that were different to what i already looked like or that i was surrounded by you know like for instance um you know like when i was 18 so around 2005 there weren't people you know as commonly dressing as like someone who was dressed in the late 1960s or early 70s or like you know those styles had passed there were a few people you know there were people who were enthusiasts who obviously did like that and they still wore it but the idea of like seeing photographs you know or movies or whatever of a particular time and like wow people looked like that but you know it'd be the same as if you just look at things of like i don't know ancient rome or something like wow it looked like that outside you know <laughs> like people dressed like that people lived their life like that's so all of that just always interest me and so it was never it was never like a conscious thing to like dress that way because it was going to stand out or look differently what i found is that like it's about transformation you know and it's about like thinking of like well how can i how can i see myself in different ways you know like in the same way that you know people maybe read different books to get different knowledge you know or like educate themselves in in different ways for me that like um you know like educating themselves in different ways so they have a much broader perspective of whatever they're interested in or just understanding how the ways in which different people live their lives or or what not in the same way with the way that you appear that's how it felt like it was for me that it was i was interested in like well what do i look like if i have a beard i've never had a beard before maybe i should grow a beard you know uh or then when you cut your beard off you look completely different you know or like what am i if i dress in all leather or how do i feel what if i wear makeup how do i feel and so that to me is like the guiding principle of like how i like to just continually live my life in terms of how fashion incorporates in it because it makes me feel different and i feel like it makes me experience life differently and also maybe even understand um to some degree of like how different people may uh feel in 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 some ways cuz i feel like clothing always usually is attached to um you know certain subcultures and the way that people express themselves but i had a conversation with colin martin a, a while ago and um colin and i always have really great rich conversations and he was saying to me that um he was really digging and finding out like why do you dress the way that you do you know and i think he was really trying to to find like the source of the answer and in some way i think he said that he felt that like maybe my reason was to be kind of um um it may have been to be like provocative in terms of like to provoke question or you know like why is this person dressed this way you know in contrast to all the other role leaders at the time or whatever um but uh it was a really good conversation but at the end of it i was just telling him like i really just dress the way that i do because it makes me feel good like it makes me feel better like you know like e- even though like sometimes maybe my outfits could be 
considered like why do you need to wear two belts when you go skating you know why do you need to like tease your hair or um you know why do you need to wear a vest like all of those things like they might seem excessive for instance but i enjoy the process doing it in the end when i go out skating or and even if it's on on my skates or off the skates when i'm out wearing a really good outfit that i've taken time to put together it just makes me feel good and so if i feel good then i can feel good about myself when i'm in the world and so that's really the only reason why i do it and, and yeah exactly it's why anyone dresses the way they do exactly it's true exactly yeah. we have like a question for you um did brandon negretti's videos have a big influence on your style and yep. if so which is your favorite one oh right yes 100% they were like a huge in inspiration for me and it was not only for the, the skating but also uh the music and the fashion um and i remember like forever now was like a a, a really really cool interesting one that i when i first saw it i wasn't at that point when i did see it uh which i think was in 2004 i was still dressed like how you saw me in that in that video with the TRS and what not but there was always something about it that just like i really liked because it was so different there was no other video like that at the time and the way he compiled all of those skaters together who had a sort of you know a similar thread of style in terms of you know they skated differently but it was kind of like this common thread of this rock and roll kind of image it just always kind of intrigued me and i remember i remember just starting to try it out like i remember like borrowing my sister's jeans and like i'd i'd borrow like um i'd like borrow my friend jared's uh solomons and we'd go skate like you know i'd probably be wearing my baggy clothes but then i'd like put on the tight clothes and i would just try it out to see how it would feel you know because again it comes back to that whole thing of how does it make you feel if you look different to how you've been looking for the past 2 4 5 years um So yeah I just kept getting inspired by it and then I remember um uh, I just kept seeing more and more stuff of like Ollie Short and 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 Mika like in Daily Bread around that time which was in early 2005 and so I just decided to 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 get new skates to or to get you know to just to start dressing more like that uh but the the film that really really was the big one for me um was Road to Nowhere and I remember oh, yeah. when it and i i i already seen the trailer and i automatically like bought it and i had to order it from america cuz no shop in australia i think had it so always always getting it so it might have been skate pile or something but i ordered it and to me it was like i was waiting for it was i knew it was going to be almost like a bible it was going to be like everything i wanted to see as in far like as far as the style uh the clothing the tricks the music i knew everything was going to be in that video and it was and it was like such like you know a, an amazing experience to watch that video and i almost just probably watched it like every night thereafter like i love it everyone in that video is incredible but like my favorites always were uh chase rushing john mm -hmm. samaria mike lilly uh mike yeager and i mean and and also i i really like brenton wheeler's part as well um but like I think the the thing with all of those guys is that they they just had something unique about them. So yeah, that video was like immensely inspirational for me. And it and it if I didn't have that video, uh who knows what would have happened. But like, you know, it got me interested in the music that was in the video, you know, like um 
I forget the I forget the track, but Sean Santa Maria's track was this like um, garage sixties garage rock track. I actually think it's by this group called The Elite. I think it was called. Um, and I was just like, whoa, this track is awesome. So I just went on this whole spiral of like finding music that was very similar to that, and then seeing photographs of the bands who made that music and see how they dress. So like all of it just inspired one another like after it. So that video was incredibly important to me. Damn, that's awesome. <laughs> I do, I, I mean, everything that like Negretti did back then was like uh, pure gold, melt gold. So yeah, shout yeah. out to, to Brandon. And like where you were living um, uh, back then, because I was like, um, I've spent like a couple of weeks in LA with my wife uh, a few years yep. back. And we were staying in, in in around the area of Echo Park, which is like probably the area where like uh, where Brandon was living because I recognize like thousands of spots that you can yeah, see in like uh, from, in all of those videos. Like um, I think particularly if you watched like any of the Fade Nation videos, um, I to my knowledge, I feel like at least the first Fade Nation was when uh, Brandon and Lonnie were living in a um uh like a warehouse downtown or if they didn't maybe lee martin did and they just were always there something of that nature but um yeah this is like they they definitely were always around you know like la spots and i think even um like when i first met brandon in 2009 he was living in macarthur park which is okay. a very famous neighborhood of um LA, which is close to uh, the downtown area. But yeah, he lived there. Um, I'm not sure how long he lived there in total, but I, I know he lived there, I, I believe, until he passed away. Um, but but yeah, he, he just like knew all the spots in LA, um, according to, you know, everyone who has ever skated with him. He just would always have spots, endless. <laughs> and I wish I was able to meet him because like I never met him in, in real life, even if I... I bought like all of his videos, but like, damn, shit. Yeah, he was, he, he was a great guy. Um, very, very, very funny and very, just very welcoming at the same time as well. Yeah, he had a, he had a wicked sense of humor. Oh, great, great. Yeah. Um, going back on uh, your like, style clothes, what happened with Gucci? Like, how did you end up to, being, to be part and to be featured in the, into the oh, right. last video campaign of Gucci? Uh, well, so, um, so as well as like my, my regular job in LA of where I worked at the bookstore, um, I also, um, would model and do commercial acting, um, in between all of that as well. So, um, I have a couple of agencies, um, shout out Lemon Lime, shout out Lost and Found. And they, um, they would basically, you know, like you'd go and audition or cast for, for different things. But the one with Gucci, how that worked, it was actually when I was first just getting involved with um, the commercial agency Lemon Lime. And it was funny because I actually wasn't already set up within their system. Because what usually happens is, is you're in the system and they just send you the auditions uh, that you're confirmed for. Uh, but I somehow like still when I first signed up, I got like I would get these emails um, from uh, just like casting listings of like things that they're looking for people. Uh, and this isn't just from the agency. This is just from anyone who's a casting director. Um, they're just looking for these roles. And I saw this one. And it was really interesting to me because it stood out from all of the others. And it said 
um, like I said, it was shooting in LA and it said, looking for unique, interesting faces to fit a 1980s rock and roll style or something like that. And I was like, interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and then I think it explained a little bit more, like it was to do with Sunset Boulevard and, and whatnot. And I was just like, and of course, all of these things, usually um, if they're really like high profile companies or brands, they won't say who the brand is. Like, I think the, the title of it was like uh, maybe like iconic, iconic luxury brand seeking, you know, whatever. So I told my agency to, can, could you like send me in for this? And I didn't, I'd, so I didn't have a profile set up. So I sent them photos and they just sent my stuff directly. Um, but all along I was kind of like, I'm sure this is Gucci. Like it just, like I already, I, I knew I was already uh, a fan of their campaigns and, and I was like, this seems very much of their style. And so we applied and then I, I, I got the casting. So I went into the casting and it was just a simple one where they just took your photo. Um, but the, the ladies who were doing the casting were really nice and complimentary of my look and whatnot. And um, so that felt nice. But then I didn't hear anything for like, I would say like almost a month and a half. It said when it was going to be shooting, which was like September last year, early September. And so it kept getting close to the day. Like, and I was like, huh, I wonder, I haven't heard anything back about that. I wonder what happened. And then, yeah, a month and a half later, I got an email from my agency saying, um, you know, this casting director is like extremely interested in you for this job. And I was like, wow. So mm -hmm. um, I said I was available and then I got booked for the job and then I went in for the booking. And yeah, at that moment, that's when I knew it was Gucci. And so I did a fitting, uh, which is where they, you know, put all your uh, outfit on and uh, or to test you in different outfits and that, that kind of thing. And I met um, uh, the lovely Italian stylists um, who were, who, who were working with, um, with uh, Jonathan, who was, who was the head stylist, um, the Italian stylist, um, Serena, uh, Didi and uh, Francesca. They were, they were really, really nice. I actually worked with them probably closely throughout the whole, the whole thing. They were, they were really lovely, but yeah, then, then, um, then I, the, the whole thing though, was that uh, you have to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement an NDA. So I couldn't actually say who it was or talk anything about it. Um, from that moment, which was early September. And then we shot it, which was in Amoeba Records. Um, and it was an overnight shoot and actually was like um, three nights. And it was probably from like 10 p.m. to 6 or 7 a.m. every night. Um, so it's pretty long in terms of like doing it. Um, but, you know, I, I met some really lovely people there. And I was also with some people from my agency that it made the whole time go by really easily. But it's just also cool to see that uh, that production on, on, on the back end of that scale. Um, but yeah, so we finished it and I remember, so yeah, that was like early September. And from there I was just waiting. I was waiting for it to come out because like, mm -hmm. uh, I was really excited to see it. And also I was just like, I knew that it probably, you know, it, it would be really not only cool to see, but it would be beneficial to have that on your, um, you know, modeling, resume portfolio yeah true yeah, that, that you worked you worked with gucci so um yeah it finally came out and it was really cool to see and uh yeah it was fun like i um actually was like you can't really see it in 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 the, in the the shot that well but i was 
um, I was one of the featured backgrounds. So I wasn't one of the main Gucci models, but I was one of the um, background actors who was, who was featured. So anyone that you could visibly see who wasn't um, a model for Gucci, their featured background. Um, but I was one of the only featured background who was wearing a full Gucci outfit. Everyone else was sort of dressed in just like um, nondescript vintage clothes from the 1980s. But yeah, they they put me in a whole Gucci um, like outfit, which was cool, which was cool to experience too. So that's that's also why I I, I worked with the stylists a lot because every time like okay, Robbie, we're gonna um, we're gonna need you. Like I'd have to get dressed, you know, in in the Gucci wear, and they would you know like put the jewelry on and and um, yeah. So it was it, it was a fun experience. It was really nice to work with them all. So yeah. Well, it looks like one of those Hollywood production, right? Because at the end of the day, I was, like when I saw the, the campaign, it looks like yeah. a proper like a movie, right? Yeah, they were like, and um, one of the also interesting things is they were shooting it on film. Um, it oh, really? Uh, it wasn't shot on digital. They were shooting on film. Wow. Um, and so that that was really cool to see as well because I've 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 been I've worked on um, on on film sets before, um, but I think all of them have been on digital so it was really cool to see um something of like just of that scale shooting on 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 film so that was really nice you know i just like would talk to any of the people um you know whether they were like um uh involved in the the camera or uh, like um there's just yeah i just I, i was just like so intrigued about the whole thing so i just spoke to anyone who i could and, and it was just a good experience Yeah, and I, at first sight I saw you. So like you, you are like still a pretty good recognizable. You're like behind the counter, right? Don't you? Yeah, the counter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, rem I, I remember there's a uh, there's 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 a shot in the very beginning as all of the the crew come through the front mm -hmm. door into okay. the record store, and there's um there's this guy on the phone and he reacts. He's like, and um, I remember I was I. I'd already shot the scene where you see me in the film where I'm at the counter, but they asked for me to be um, in that spot. So I went behind, you know, the desk and with the phone and everything. And they're about to, um, they're about to shoot it. And then I think the assistant director was like, Oh, Robbie, sorry, sorry, sorry. We just realized that we can't have you in here because of the continuity. Um, you're because you, you've already been used in, in the store. It wouldn't make sense for you to, to be in twice. And then they switched me out. Um, um, but yeah, so I, I thought that was kind of funny. It would be, it would be interesting to see me, uh, doing, uh, what that guy did on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause it means super cool too. And, yeah. um, tell me something about your family, because like you told me that like part of your family is from Italy, from Vicenza, right? Yep. So like how many times, uh, uh, like have you ever get the chance to come here to visit them in Vicenza? And if so, how many times did you, did you, You came here in Italy. Well, I haven't visited Italy at all yet. I feel like if, if I did, we'd be seeing each other. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, yeah, my, my mom's side of the family is Italian. Um, they, so I, you know, I have, um, my mom was actually born in Australia just after my nonna and nonno um, migrated, which was in the early 1960s. I think I think they first migrated in 1960, and my mum was born in 1961. Um, and my auntie and uncle, uh, they were born in Venice, and then, 
and yeah, then my mum was born in, in Melbourne. Um, but then I think I remember like my, my, my nonna was really big into printing. Mm -hmm. offset printing. And so like, I can't remember what they first did when they came here, but they ended up, I think my nonna was having a very difficult time adjusting to the transition and she was missing her family. So they moved back. And then I remember, and I think they opened up a cafe or, or a bar or something for a little while in Venice. And then what happened was, is my nonna got a really good job offer um, because he was one of, I think within Australia, there weren't many people who were doing maybe four color um, printing process um, offset. I'm pretty sure something like that. So, but he got this job offer to do printing there. And so they went back um, and I think that was around 1965 and they've been, they've been there since. Um, but yeah, so like I, one side of my family is just more traditional, um, I guess you could say white Australian, uh, on my dad's side of the family. Um, but then my mum's side was Italian. So whenever I'd go to my nonna and nonna was like, I always experienced the full Italian, <laughs> uh, you know, experience of like, you know, having Easter and Christmas and birthdays and all the family together and like cooking beautiful food. And my nonna's lasagna is like nothing like anything else I've had from anyone else, which I'm sure, you know, your mum or your nonna's food is unlike anyone else's as well. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I definitely probably don't look Italian in any way because my, I guess my looks and my red hair comes from my dad's side. My dad is adopted. So we didn't know where his family line kind of came from, but um, he eventually met his biological mother and um, yeah, she told us that it's um, Norwegian and Scottish. So it made sense. But, but yeah, I think like, um, I don't think many people probably from the look of me, know that I have, you know, a full Italian side to my life. But um, yeah, I, I'm very, um, I'm very proud to be half Italian. And, um, and yeah, I can't, I can't wait to go, you know, Shoot. sometime in the future. Yeah, it would be pretty cool. And like, I was wanting to ask you, like, uh, is your nonna uh, speaking in Italian with your mom? Or like, she's speaking in English or? No, no, no. She, so she, she can speak English, like my nonna and I can talk. Uh, but you know, this there, I would say there's a limitation to, to what she can probably express um, in English. But yeah, so Nonna and my mom or my auntie um, or, you know, my uncle, like, or any of my Italian family, they all will speak to her in Italian. And yeah, I think usually, like, my Nonna probably will speak in a kind of a dialect. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially yeah. if she came down there in Melbourne through like around the 60s. Yeah, like yeah. everybody were like speaking dialect instead of Italian because it's like yeah. it was the easiest way for them. And uh, because like they weren't used to travel a lot back back in the yeah. day. So like yeah. even my grandpops and grandma, they, they, they used to speak their dialect and, and they speak in Machit because of because of that. I mean, they, they, yeah. they're not like us that we are traveling all the time from Milano yep. to Roma or to Naples or whatever, so. Yep, yep, absolutely. Actually, I think that was like one of the reasons why, like sadly, I, I haven't taken the time to learn Italian, for instance. I mean, I know certain words, like things that my nonna might say I can understand, but I can't speak Italian. And I, I remember, I feel like I remember when I was asking my mom when I was younger about like, oh, why, why won't you teach us Italian? I think my mom was hesitant because, um, she, she she was afraid that no one would like we wouldn't be able to communicate because she she only knows the dialect 
but um but yeah I, I mean either way you know i hopefully i'll i'll learn more in in time but um uh, but it's nice like i you know I, I go visit my nonna just her and i and um you know we have conversations and we'll sit and watch the television and eat food and have um have coffee and you know biscotti and yes yeah, so, so. <laughs> biscotti you just said like perfectly uh Robbie, I do things like Instagram after like an hour or something goes down. So let me just put you back in. I'm sorry, guys. I do things like Instagram. Robbie. Yeah, it must have been a time limit, right? Exactly. I'm saying because it's like it's not the first time that happened. Like um, whenever like you pass over like an hour or something like that, it's it cuts you off like a uh, just like that easy like a uh, like a knife That's in the butter. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And um, no, yeah, I was saying like uh, yeah, your Italian accent is pretty cool. Just like from like how you said biscotti, it's like a pretty rewarding. Oh, so yeah, <laughs> thumbs up. Did um. Did um did Matteo ever tell you that he went and met my nonna? No, but I'm um, not. Maybe it might be, but I can't really remember that. But like, yeah, when, did he? Yeah, when uh, when he came to Melbourne, um, he was only in Melbourne for a short time. I think it might have been a five days or something. But um, but yeah, I I, I made a point to, to take him to visit my nonna, and uh, she loved it. And I don't know, he loved it too. It was really nice. I think I don't know if she made lasagna i think she she may have made uh gnocchi wow. um, but yeah they were talking and uh yeah it was really it was really lovely yeah because i bet like maybe your 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 nonna she was like missing to speak in like fluently in italian just like even like yeah. hear somebody who like, was able to speak fluently italian because it'd be like pretty right. emotional thing right sure yeah 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 see I, i mean you know she obviously she goes to a lot of italian clubs where she you know has other um friends who, who are Italian, like, you know, of her age or, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think just to, you know, to come into contact with someone who is living in Italy, uh, yeah, and, and also someone who's, who's of a younger generation, who's an Italian, I think she, she really enjoyed that experience, um, you know, because it's been a long time since she's uh, exactly. visited and also lived there. Okay, pretty cool. And also, and, and also Matteo is, you know, from northern Mm, yeah. As well. Lombardy. Like pretty uh Matteo lives in Lecco, which is like one hour away from Milan, up north okay. to the mountains. Right. So yeah. Okay, sure. And um yeah, going back to blading, uh I was wanting to ask you the same question that I that I asked to, to Gab. Like how all of those um legends like uh the were in the past and then in the present day in, in, in the Australian scene influenced yes. you and like who is your favorite like Who was the the, um, the blader that have like uh, the influence you most? The Australian blader that influenced your your skating. Hmm. Um. Well, so so growing up, I actually lived in a small town that was um, in a completely separate part of Australia. That's nowhere near Melbourne. It's actually it's called um, small town called Palmerston, which is near the main the major city Darwin, which um, is. Like if you were to drive by a car, it's like four days. 
It's like really, really far. It's and 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 there's no there's nothing really in between. So I, I grew up there, and that's where I started skating. So I was isolated from all of like the the major um, skaters or the major events that were happening in the late nineties in Australia. So I just watched it all on videos. Um, and but yeah, I like I like my favorite skater when I was younger uh, was Blake Dennis. Yeah. Like Dennis is still like one of my favorite skaters. Like I, I always still think that he's one of the, one of the most unique skaters in in the history because I, I think he he visually was always like a little different, you know, from everyone else. And um, I think particularly when he got into the two thousands and it, it, just his style of not only the way that he um, dressed and how he had dreadlocks and and whatnot, but just like I think intermingling his um his 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 like rich knowledge of like park skating and how that translated into street was just like they they both flowed in and out of one another just like incredibly and yeah he was always a standout skater for me i think particularly as i was young um like i started skating when i was 11 like aggressive skating and i think he was only like maybe three years older or something so he was really young so i was you know, in, in the same way that, like, I know a lot of older rollerbladers who started in the mid-90s really looked up to maybe, say, Matt Mance or Randy Spicer because they were really young and there was, you know, a similar age. So, like, I think you're attracted to people who are kind of, like, um, closer to your age group because you're like, oh, wow, they're doing it. You know, they're just like me. So I was really inspired by Blake Dennis. But then, yeah, when I moved to, um, to Melbourne, I, I ended up, like I was still young, so I had my own crew who were in my my age. But um, thanks to Tim Ward, uh, who I became uh, good friends with, he actually started this thing called Melbourne Skate Crew, which then got uh, shortened to just MSC. But he would do these uh, skate meets, which were these like events every month or two months where everyone would meet up. Um, and most of the time it was meeting up in the street and we would just go skating around. Like if it was in the downtown city of melbourne we'd meet up at a ledge and then we'd just skate around and, and you'd skate street spots but through that I, I got to see and also then meet a lot of other skaters um and like who are in the older generation like um josh clark chris corvino uh the campbell brothers uh, and then, then there was also like the tasmanian skaters at the time alex davies matthew dodos like uh and so and like there was one skater who was also um, he was from a small town outside of Melbourne, but moved and he, he kind of became really close with that older crew and his name's Hayden Watt. And he is hands down one of like the best skaters I've ever known. And he, uh, he, 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 and as well as like the, like the Tasmanian guys, cause they were really close friends. They were, you know, maybe five or so more years older than me, but they, they really took me under my wing and um, I was always inspired by them. Like Hayden Watt was, is just like incredible. Like the way he would, his ability to just go to a spot and size it up and to skate, like to jump onto a rail without any kind of level of hesitation and just like having complete, uh, complete patrol. It just was always such an inspiration because I was always so scared, you know, to, to, to try anything. Um, or just, just like it would take me a long time to get over my my fear to be able to do a trick. So 
he was someone who who inspired me a lot but you know to be honest like um i I also just was so inspired by my own crew of like the people i skated with who are my age like my good friend gab drum you know like i've skated with gab you know since uh i think i was 13 i think he was 14 and you know skating with gab and then skating with my other good friend uh jared thackeray like we we always were just kind of inspired by one another because we were, we were young. We were of the relative of the same age. We were interested in mostly of the same things, you know, the, the American skaters at the time. And, um, and yeah, so like we kind of always like fed off each other, I think as well. Um, and I would say as, as, as I got older and then when we started to make our own videos, uh, my crew of like Gav and Jared and, and such, um, we just started to kind of, I guess, express our own way of like how, how we wanted to, um, you know, make videos and whatnot. Like the first video I remember, like I was really involved in, uh, was this one that came out, which was our cruise video. And, um, I edited and produced it. Jared did most of the filming. And, um, I remember Gav edited his section as well, but it was called collective sky. And like the editing of that was like, um, if you watch it, I think it's very much informed by Brandon Negrete's videos, for instance. But yeah. there was, you know, there was there was people before that who I was really close with who were making videos. Um, the Farrell brothers, Scott and Ryan Farrell, um, they were like really close friends to me, and like I still um, love them to death. They're they're wonderful guys, and they they had you know they were always very supportive of my skating growing up as well. But I think like to be honest, I feel like most of most of um, most of what people remember about Australian um, skating is really kind of from the 2000s and earlier. Um, so it's really, I think, the mid-90s or the late 90s when you think of, you know, people um, like Tim Ward or like Tom Fry or Scott Crawford uh, or Cesar Mora or Josh Clark, uh, you know, all of these iconic, you know, skaters who, for instance, were in BG6. I feel like that's what most people really associated with because, to be honest, the to travel from Australia at that time I think was really difficult but there was a lot more money in skating so mm -hmm. uh, most of those guys had like boot you know boot sponsors whether it was for um Roches or whether it was um a K2 or whatnot but they would be sent to you know for instance Europe or America and then they would do all of the because they were really good at park skating they would do all of the the, the park circuit you know, going to the ASAs or the NIS. And uh, I think that was a way for them to not only, um, you know, just tour around and to, um, like, see new places and skate with new people, but it was also a way they could make some money to keep them going, as well as what they were probably earning from their boot, their boot company. But really, by the 2000s, like, as most people know, a lot of companies would were started to cut their budgets. And I think being a professional from Australia became really difficult because – the price to fly an Australian pro rollerblader to the United States of Europe was really expensive. And I think the exchange rate on the currency wasn't very good. So a lot of people ended up, I feel like a lot of the rollerbladers at that time just stayed in Australia. One of the only ones that kept going was Blake Dennis. And really by 2000, well, you know, obviously and the vert skaters as well, like Cesar Mora, Shane Yost. But, um, but by 2005, I think a lot of them weren't really skating internationally as much anymore. But there's mm -hmm. rich history like that I grew up watching and being a part of. Um, 
that is almost lost in a way. Like there is so many good skaters from that time. And, um, and, and, and yeah, just some of those videos like aren't, uh, they didn't get released internationally. And it was before, you know, uh, streaming internet and that kind of thing. So now there are those videos online, like you can see them. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, almost like a bit of a lost period in Australian rollerblading. And then it's, I personally, I think it's really from maybe around 2009 when CJ Wellsmore went to the United States. That's when I went to the first in the United States. But when CJ went there, you know, he's incredible park skater and he just like won all of these contests. And I think then also at the same time, it was when Dom West and Richie Eisler and, you know, Ryan Arnold and CJ, they were all living in the Vine Street house. And then Dom made Vine Street, which I think came out in early 2011. But so that was like the beginning of this new generation. And um, so, so really, um, when when I think back on it, there's kind of like these, yeah, there's these periods of um, of Australian skating, and I feel like that middle period is kind of not as known by the international world, so to speak. Like, um, but I experienced it. So, like, to me, like to now be like skating. Um, and, and you know, producing videos and that kind of thing. Like, it feels really nice to be a part of like a continuum of of, of the Australian culture um, of rollerblading. Because even though like I've been living in the, the United States for the past four years, and that's where a lot of my video parts have been made outside of Chapter Two, which was in made in Melbourne and Sydney. Most of the skating that I feel like people have seen of me have been in the United States. But I do think I still carry, you know, a part of that Australian you know, um, rollerblading culture with me over here. So it, it I'm, I, I'm really grateful that like, I still represent Australian rollerblading because um, it informed so much of my upbringing and, and to, um, and to, you know, to, to have to feel like that, that I'm like next to any of those um, greats, you know, like to, if, if it's like, I've had people say that before and it's just so incredibly like touching to know that like you know I'm, I'm a part of a continuum you know that like me and gab drum uh you know and ryan arnold and cj and tian and craig and and you know so many many others are a part of this lineage of like such great history so yeah yeah you guys are you guys definitely are i mean in my eyes yeah you are And then, no, no problem. <laughs> I was wanting to ask you one thing, like, because, like, it came to my mind, like, like the, the last time I was talking with Gav, and um, but like, I never get the chance to to see skating live. Um, Ian Brown or Justin Buchanan, like, uh, they, they were Australian as well, right? The, those two are see, they're another two who are incredible. Like, um, and they're I feel like they're a part of that middle generation because I feel like they're they're from. Where they, where they were doing their best skating, I really feel like is between 2000 and 2005, so to speak. And like Justin McCannon is incredible. Like he was like, the level of skating that he was doing and particularly the style of his skating is like next to Carlos Pianowski, you know, like he, he, he had a cover of Daily Bread. He had an interview in Daily Bread. I remember um, that, yeah. And, and Ian Brown, for instance, is like, oh my God, he's like one of the most like, amazing styles you know in rollerblading in general and just like ever that australia has produced like 
um, like he had like he had this like amazing video part which was in the Australian Roche's team video in 2000 I think or 2000 2001 I think it was and you know his fakey 720s are like one of the most like pieces of perfection if you were to see a fakey 720 you know I mean a lot of people might think of Chris Happy or they think of Brian Aragon doing fakey 720s but like literally Ian Brown's fakey 720s are like a piece of perfection I'm so stoked that you know those guys because like I feel like anyone who came into contact with them in America for instance or maybe in Europe like they I feel like they would always probably speak very highly of them but I feel like the general populace maybe didn't know of them as much maybe no me like I'm like uh I wouldn't say a blade nerd but like I do love like skating and all that so like and I've started skating in 2000 so like Back then, just like you were saying, like uh, me, I've like started skating. When I started skating, like the only source of skating that I have in TV was the Eurosport. And like they were like putting like those bursty contests and stuff like that. So like oh, yeah. I was watching uh, um, Blake Dennis run uh, when he won the, the, the bursty contest. So, like every now and then they were like X Games yeah. or whatever. And then like I saw uh, probably was VG17 was my first beat. No, but my first beat was VG15. But one of my very, fir- very favorite of the first one that I've seen back then was VG17. And there you can see some tricks from uh, from uh, Ian Brown as also like- yes, uh, the, at the IMYTA. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, you remember that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trispin from Farf with, the, with those yes. uh, cuties, uh, black yes. and white. At the at the Embarcadero, that uh that famous skate spot. Exactly, 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 dude. Yeah, he was like, he only attracts me like in a way because he was like uh, a guy said it before. Like um he was um he and and Blake they were like able like naturally to to make the cuties and and, and the growl as well. Like which they were like kind of a uh tough skate yeah. to, to skate. Uh, right. They were like making them looking pretty cool in a way, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, so, I think, to be honest, I feel like the Graal is actually one of the most underrated skates in some way. I feel like it's a, it's a really unique skate. Um, and I feel like maybe because of like a lot of the other, you know, like other skate companies and skate teams that were operating at the time, they just, you know, I think in some ways overshadowed um, that skate because you know, you had USD with such an incredible team or you had mm. Ray's with such an incredible team or Rollblade with such an incredible team, like in the early 2000s. So I feel like most people probably just wanted either three of those skates because their favorite skaters were kind of one of those. But, Ro- um, but Roche has always had like a really solid um, team in Australia and a really strong presence, which was thanks to... Um, the distribution that was done by this lovely lady, Rhonda Patton. And she'd been doing it, I think, since the mid-90s, maybe. But, um, yeah, she was like this family hub. And I think Gav mentioned uh, her as well. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah. Like, the common skate in Australia was was Roches. Like, everyone skated Roches. Hey, you I, can see it on, on, on Bougie 20 Australia part, where, like, everybody yeah. is skating with yep. Roches, right? With Roches, yep. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. And like talking about videos and stuff like that, like how did you end up um, working with John for talking about like roses and whatever um, Uh with them? 
Oh, right. Like, how did I end up making videos? Yeah, and and especially, like, the, the video you did for, for them, for them skates. Oh, right. Um, well, I, like, I met, I met John Julio um, back in 2009 when he came to Melbourne as a part of, um, well, he came to Melbourne and Sydney, but he came to Melbourne first uh, as a part of a, a early Valo for Life tour slash filming project. Um, he came with, with Alex Brosco, with Brandon Smith, um, with Eric Bailey and they, they ended up basically sort of doing a little kind of tour to film for Violet for Life. And so I met him, I've met him since then. And I remember, uh, during that time, uh, there was a skate contest, the national contest, and I ended up skating really quite well in it. Um, might be one of the best times I've ever skated in a contest but my my skating interested John and I remember uh, Alex Brosco like after um we were talking and he said oh like asked basically asked me if I had a boot sponsor and like or, or if I get skates because I was skating shadows at the time and I was like oh no and he's like oh J John really likes your skating like we you know we'd love to know if you want to skate for Valo you know to to be um because they were setting up an Australian team uh so I, I so that was just you know incredibly flattering and like to to be asked by alex and and to and to know that john likes my skating was just like it was to me at that time it was just such a um a surreal experience but so i i, I started skating for, for valo um on the australian team and and then just over the years i've always kind of been um in close you know, in connection with him in some way like i toured to the united states twice and stay, stayed with him and toured around with Valo and filmed for uh, for Valo for Life and became good friends with uh, Ivan um, but I, then, then I remember uh, there was I think it was around 2011-2012 that, that um, distributor the, the Roche's distributor that I was mentioning um, Rhonda she wasn't able to bring the skates in anymore because uh, it was really really expensive for her to ship the skates at that time and they would they would arrive like six months six to eight months later Damn. like a really really long time like we would have for instance the the brosco uh zebra like the ab1 skate like a year after it already been out or Damn. more and so by that time you know you know, everyone would sort of knows there's already other skates being available. So most people want the skate that has just come out. So I think she had a really hard time selling the skates because they were old by the time they got here. And the financial burden was just like too much. So she ended up not distributing Valo anymore. Um, but because of all of the, you know, the wonderful experiences they had touring to the United States and like uh, all, the, all of the nice, uh, like accommodating um, experiences that I had with, with all the Valo guys, I just wanted to keep supporting. So I just then kept buying my own Valo skates. Um, sadly, I, I didn't buy them from Australian stores because there weren't any available. Um, but I purchased them from American stores. And so I kept buying Valo skates and then I moved to America in 2016. And yeah, I just kept skating Valos. And I remember we, we skated with like, because I, I became good friends with Ivan, we went on these Valo tours 
Um, one was like all up the Northwest of the United States. And then we took another, like I went to New York and filmed with New York around the Boshi Pope comp 2017. And then we went to Tijuana, Mexico and, and skated. And, and yeah, Ivan was swimming for uh, We Have 06 at that time. And so I was just skating with him. Uh, and, and yeah, we were filming Barlow 06. Yeah. And during all of that, I was still skating with my crew um, in LA. And I was skating a lot with Sean Dust. And I was filming Sean Dust for what then would become his Burn LA um, part. And around that time, which was around the end of 2017, um, John was really pushing forward to do them. And so he was putting together plans to how to then start it up. And Sean was already going to be a, a writer, a confirmed writer. And I remember he, like they, they wanted to put together a video, you know, to promote the, the beginning of the company. And uh, in some ways I feel like it was because I was sort of at the right place, you know, cause I was always skating with Sean and filming Sean and Sean was going to be one of the main people in for them that Sean actually approached John and said, Hey, why don't, um, what do you think about Robbie doing the promo? Cause I'm not sure if John asked anyone else, but you know, Ivan lives in uh, Northern California. Like he lives in Berkeley near San Francisco. So I don't think it was maybe as easy for Ivan to come down. I'm not sure. I don't even know if Ivan was in the conversation. Um, but so, yeah, John just then asked me if I wanted to do it. And, you know, it was like, it was just such an honor to be considered to be doing that, uh, to start this new project. And I don't, you know, I, it was sort of the first year where I started to really be my own uh, filmmaker within skating. And so I just took the opportunity because I thought it would be, you know, a really fun um, and memorable experience. So, yeah, it was what ended up happening was is uh we filmed it all very very low-key it was like almost secretive in a way because no one could see the skates okay yeah in my so, bad. We would, so it was just it would usually would be me sean dust Cruz sapstein john julio of course and um miguel ramos um and yeah we we would just go on these kind of like solo missions and maybe five six or so sessions and then yeah we filmed that part and then it was like coming up to winter clash and it was like that's when it was going to be made so yeah we did um did the edits and put it together and i was really stoked because i feel like at that time i think at least for for, for that time i think john really wanted something that was unique um from what he'd previously been doing with Valo. I think he wanted to maybe start with a different sort of direction. Sorry, that was my battery. Uh, but he, he, but yes, yeah, so he wanted something kind of different. And, um, you know, I take my own influences um, in regards to film and whatnot, um, you know, from, from, from different sources. So I was really inspired to, to create something of my own. And yeah, I, I remember like what I created. And I remember when I first sent, you know, it, it to John, like the first kind of like rough cut of the whole, of the whole promo. He, he was, he was pretty blown away by it. And he said that it was like, wow, this reminds me of like watching like the opening part with the, with the road that's coming 
you know, um, coming down at night. Yeah. He was like, wow, it, make, it reminds me of like Mad Max Fury Road or something. You know, it had maybe more of a, a real cinematic vibe or something. But, um, but yeah, so like that's kind of how that, that happened. And um, I, I ended up flying uh, myself out to Winter Clash because that's when we were premiering it um, in early 2018 not only with obviously the video, but the whole brand. So yeah, I feel, I, I feel really, feel really honored that I was a part of like all of that because it was very memorable times. And, you know, to be at the beginning of a, uh, of a whole new company is like, is pretty special. So, yeah. Great. Great. And what about now? Like what you're doing, uh, are you like still able to do like a, uh, video project for for them or like are you going to be any um, video project for them or like when you're going back to to LA of course well to be honest I'm not actually officially involved with them anymore okay um, yeah like I, I I haven't really done anything for them for a really long time and yeah I'm not involved with the company anymore Okay. Uh, yeah. So. Um, I yeah I. It's more than likely that, I like, I was you know, all of those guys and every you know everyone involved with them is still close friends with me, and and like they're like family. So I still very much like. Um, everything about it is still really close to my heart. Um, and so, you know, like all of the people like who are involved are like my close friends. So I know I'm still going to keep skating with them and keep making things, um, whether like for, for the, specifically for the brand them, like, um, I can't say as, as of now, like I'm not involved, um, I, I suppose formally in any capacity. Mm -hmm. So it's more than likely that I won't. Um, but, you know, who knows what, 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 what's to come in, in the future, you know? So, I mean, it's okay. It's not going to change my enthusiasm for skating. And I still have the same amount of like enthusiasm for the brand in regards to like, you know, John is going to continue um, doing great things and everyone involved with the brand is continue going to be doing great things. Um, you know, in some ways it's, it is sad and disheartening that I'm not involved in that, in that way anymore. But, um, but, you know, I think, I think that's okay. I'm really, I'm really grateful and pleased for the, the time that I was involved and the things that I did for the brand. And like I said earlier, just like to be there from the very beginning to have helped um, establish, you know, that something that will be such a, a, a fixture a staple in, 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 um, in the role betting world is, um, is really meaningful. So yeah, I'm, mm. I'm grateful, but, 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 you know, t yeah, I guess to, to say, I, I, I'm not sure what the future holds, but at this point, yeah, I've, um, I'm not involved and, you know, like the brand has so many other wonderful people like making things for them as well. You know, like Mike Torres is doing such an incredible job with the videos and Mike McMullen always does amazing things with, with the design and the branding and the aesthetics and like the harmony of like those guys together doing their thing is just beautiful, you know? So, um, I'm always a hundred percent supporting, um, anything that they're doing 
And so all I can ever say and hope for is that like, they keep doing the best they can because all in all it does the best for rollerblading. So, and True. for me personally, that's, that's all I can do for myself as well as do what, um, do what I, I think is best for myself and for rollerblading. So, you know, all in all, everyone's still really good friends and uh, we're just going to keep going forward um, doing the best we can. Definitely. Definitely. So Rob, I gotta, um, I gotta, You Tell think me. the charger, huh? Oh, it's cool. I'm just putting my phone on charge. Okay, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was like, uh, yeah, I was saying it like, uh, we've been like talking for like one hour and 20 minutes. So this is, this is like the, the longest wow. one. <laughs> But it, oh, cool. it, is, right. it, it has been pretty cool, man. Thank you so much. And yeah, uh, with that being said, I was, uh, I was wondering to thank you for your time, for waking up this early. And um, it has been like a great chat. I do really love it and do really enjoy it. And um, I'm looking forward to see you here in Italia. So I, I, I cannot wait to eventually get there and to, uh, to have a skate with you, to, you know, to have a coffee. Yeah, and, um, some lasagna or some yeah. pasta, whatever. <laughs> My God, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, you know some really fabulous spots to go to. Um, Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah, I look that. And I hope, and I mean... I hope everything is, is, is good on your end with your family and, you know, and like your loved ones. Cause yeah, the, what I've been, you know, seeing from this side of the fence um, of Italy has just been really, really sad. It's, 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 it's horrible to see. And, and now, and, and now it's, you know, it's, it's happening everywhere else as well. But, um, but you've been there, you know, like through it, like how long have you been in quarantine for? Uh, from the 8th of March. So a month. This is like a month, but like earlier, like the, the government for like two weeks, like before that, like the, like the, the, the very first day of the, the, the proper lockdown thing yeah. uh, for two weeks, sure. yeah, the government started saying, hey guys, try to, you know, don't go around, don't go in bars or like try to go uh, out as less as possible and stuff like that. So like uh, we right. spread it like... Uh, Like, because we all underestimated, like we all, we were like, oh man, it's a hoax, it's whatever, it's not going to take at us or something like that. And that is why, and like, right. uh, even like all the, um, all the nurse or like all the, all the docs and stuff like that, they didn't, they didn't knew how to, they didn't know how to recognize it, like from the symptoms. So like, they were like underestimating, thinking they were like a flu or something like that. So they were sending right. people home and like, maybe they infected like their relatives and their relatives spread it like through the 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 workplaces or something like that so yeah it has been hard like the, the very like uh from right after the winter clash like after four or five days after the winter clash like the news are yep. start like they started to say hey it's going to be tough be careful and blah 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 but then uh, two weeks after that like went madness like uh, we like uh they were like um infected people all over the the, the region like uh city bergamo and brescia which are like uh are like two cities pretty close to milan they they they're sure. like in, in war zone like there were like 800 oh, deaths wow. per day or something for like weeks so like um sure. it has been like uh we like the the, the numbers said that like uh, in total there were like more than 12,000 no 13,000 people died by this uh COVID-19. Really? 13,000, wow. man. It's crazy. That's awful. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of. But um, yeah, I mean, um, go, going back to the topic, just just to end it up like uh, on a, on a yeah. on a happy way. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for 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 this chat, Rob. It has been like a, a pretty cool thing, and I'm thank glad you. that like I was able to give like a little shout to Ian Brown and to to Justin Buchanan Absolutely. because. <laughs> me too. Um, um, I also I also just want to say you know from me thank you for wanting me to be on this I've no. I've, I've been watching other they've been really enjoyable um, and like you know I look forward to watching more of all the other people that you're gonna do as well so yeah really I'm, nice. I'm gonna try to to put like uh, as many friends and homies and and idols that I can here in this one because I'm starting to enjoying it so yeah thank you so much for watching them. And um, oh, yeah, I, I guess also, thank also thank you, thank you to everyone who is uh, who's tuned in to watch this. And, True, thank um, you so much, yeah, guys. I, I, yeah, thank you everyone who's who's left such a lovely comment as well. I I really appreciate such the nice words. Awesome. So thank you guys. Thank you, Rob. And yeah, I'm looking forward to see you as soon as possible. Okay. Likewise. Stay safe, mate. Thank Good you night. very much. You too. Ciao, boss. Bye. Take care, mate. Take Ciao. care. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Blading Chats.